Hi. Hello. Welcome. Hi, Carrie. <laughs> this is our 30th episode. Yeah, it feels like a milestone. I like threes. I like the number three. And it feels good. The thing that feels even better, though, is that we scheduled a time. Yeah. Like we're scheduling a pattern of every other. Yeah. Every I other mean, Tuesday. Recording. If it's in my calendar, it's canon. It's canonical. If it's in my calendar, I will do it. Yeah. But you got to get in the calendar and um, that's the best way. That's the best way. So it's in the calendar. I scheduled it as a repeating event. So every other I, Tuesday. I'm, yeah. Every other Tuesday. I'm confident we can pull it off. Smart. I feel confident about that too. So, and for the episode 30, we have a guest. Yep. Let's talk about, here's a funny conversation. Let's talk about where we were when we were 30 years old. What was going um, on in your life when you were 30? Well, uh, nothing Nothing celebratory was happening in my life. I got sober at 31. So you're 30. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not really having any clear recollection of it at this particular moment, but I was largely, like, unhoused and, you know, committing crimes, essentially, to support my drug habit. And, you know, my kid was... whatever five years old and he was with his dad and I was really suffering really you know when we talk about being hopeless I was beyond hopeless I had spoken to my son's father on the phone and I told him to tell Mason that I was dead because I was convinced not even trying to be dramatic not even doing like the oh I'm gonna you know take my own life it wasn't even like a dramatic thing it was like you might as well let him start getting over it now (laughs) how brutal i'm not coming back i mean that's just i just thought like this is it this is it's not gonna happen for me so when i see and hear the hopelessness and or people talking about a loved one i'm always just like as long as you're i know we say this all the time as long as you're walking around breathing i believe that there's hope for change so you're 30 for me bleak 31 fantastic so what about you what were you doing at 30 um i had two children let's see so i turned 30 in 1927. How do, how do I do math? How do I do math? I turned in 1998. I turned 30 in 1998. I had a four-year-old and a five-year-old. And I think my soon-to-be husband was about to get out of prison. Oh. And I was in school. And baby daddy. Yeah, and baby daddy. I was in school. I had a job as a ESL tutor. I was broke as a joke, like on welfare, no money, no money, driving a real shitty Ford Escort. Really, if it hadn't been for Steve's mom, like I would have had a really hard time, but she she helped us out a lot. Uh, so I was sober, but I was really poor, and I had two kids, and I wasn't going to meetings because I had two kids which seemed like the barrier to me at the time, which is, yeah, is. you know, yeah, kind of legit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also I felt super shunned by all, all the people in AA because my husband was in prison. 
And I and a lot of people knew him and thought he was kind of a dirtbag. And so I just felt like I wasn't welcome, which is all made up. Like, I get that's all made up, but that's kind of where it was. So that was a tough time. That was a tough time. But then he got out and we moved to, we bought a house and got married and things were pretty cool for five or so years after that. Should we ask our... What, let's ask our guest, Should our we ask special our guest. guest what she was doing when she was 30 since it was last year? The one and only Courtney Blair is our guest. I have so many questions to ask her, but this is the first one. Hi, Courtney. Welcome. Welcome, Courtney. Hello. 30. I had to pull out the calculator to figure out what year that was. I got married that year. I had a, a little fat baby. And was, I think, secretly smoking weed and hiding it in the diaper genie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's an incredibly clever place to hide weed. Yeah. Locks the smells in. Mm Mm-hmm. It was perfect. But did your weed get poopy? (laughs) No. I used cloth diapers. I think I got it for, like, at a baby shower, and I used cloth diapers, so I didn't. Oh, you didn't even really use it. So it wasn't even a diaper genie. It was just a weed genie. <laughs> it was a weed genie. It's my weed storage genie. Yeah. Also known as the weenie. Yeah. And and the dad, of course, <laughs> you know, I don't know if he changed that many diapers. So he had no idea. <laughs> oh. I'm just kidding. I'm sure he changed a lot of diapers. Yeah. I'm sure. And this was your second husband. That was my second husband. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I am now on my third because I am so good. At and, and final. She and final. loves being married. What is your current age, Courtney, if you don't my mind? current age is 45. Oh, my gosh. So mm-hmm. young. Oh, um, so young. Yeah, it does not feel young. Well. Wait till you get, wait till you add 10. <laughs> I always, I do this with our other friend, Melissa, too. It was her birthday the other day, and her and Danny are one day apart. That's how I can remember either one of them. And I picture her as, like, 25. She's now 41. I picture you the same way, Courtney. I picture you as, like, late 20s, maybe. Yeah. So, God bless. At least it's not just me that's old as hell. Yeah, I wouldn't go back, though. I would not be 20 again. For no fucking way. I wouldn't be 30 again. I wouldn't be 40 again. I really wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Things are just getting good. You know? Yeah. I feel like I can corroborate that for you, too. Like, your life seems like it's really lit right now. Yeah. If I knew what I know now, if I could go back and be 20, knowing what I know now, I would go. But not. I wouldn't want to be myself again at that age, at any age. No, I I just started wanting to be myself, like, this year. <laughs> what happened this year? Tell us what feels different. What's happening inside of you? What's your... I mean, it's quiet inside. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, there's just... It's positive in there, you know? I think that I've always been extremely negative, glass, half-empty kind of person. Things just don't feel hard and terrible at the moment is it something that you like what actions do you feel like you've taken over the last span of time that has prompted or like catapulted this or facilitated this internal shift for you well so I started treating my trauma 
about two and a half years ago. And I did 18 months of EMDR mm. every week. And in a lot of ways, it made me better. And in a lot of ways, it made me worse. Ooh, controversy. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I love it. In what way did it do each of those things, if you can describe yeah, it? So, I mean, some of the instant reactions started to slip away. Like I used to, there was like this recurring issue that would come up in my relationship and I would get triggered with it. And like the floodgates would just open and tears, you know, just ridiculous amounts of emotion would come up and that stopped happening. Like the trigger would come and the emotions wouldn't. And then I would be able to, you know, have a conversation or just walk through the trigger without having completely swollen eyelids within 45 minutes. But I feel like my mental health kind of got a lot worse. I had to clear my calendar on therapy days because when I would come home, I would just not really be capable of doing anything. I wasn't really able to work. I wasn't really able to meet with sponsees. And so I just, you know, cleared my calendar and would come home and scroll TikTok or whatever and just be in the funk, you know? It just felt dark and funky and sad and and I would just be in that, you know? For how long? I mean, how long does that last? And just until you wake months. up the next day, or yeah, the whole no. time, yeah, um, yeah, pretty much till like the next day. Mm. Yeah, it was like a you know a, just a few hours of just funkiness, and then the next day would be better. Mm -hmm. But you know, the next day better wasn't really better, not compared to like, like now suppressed, resuppressed. You know? It's like, how would you even force yourself to keep going to that? I don't know if I would make it 18 months of knowing that I was going to feel dark and funky for a period of time. I mean, I didn't feel like I had any choice because... Did you just feel like if you could muscle through like the dark, funky part that you would come up out the other side of it? Yeah. And I knew that, you know, I was sober and I didn't know how long I was going to be sober. And it felt like I had to do this because if I didn't, it was just a matter of time before I was back out. Because by that point, I was 20 years into 12-step recovery trying to stay sober unsuccessfully. Yeah. Wait, let me zoom out a sec. In a general way, right? Um, what's your childhood? Where do you come from? What are, what are you? What's going on? <laughs> what's going on? What are you? What are you? What's going on with you? Yeah. My dad's a drug addict and an alcoholic. He was a biker. in a biker gang. And so I grew up around Hells Angels type people. My mom was, uh, she made sure that we had clothes and food and that, you know, we followed directions, but there wasn't really a lot of a emotional connection, you know? I just remember being really angry and really lonely and mostly really mean. Like I was actually a really mean, terrible child. 
Uh, I mean, well, up till about four years ago. <laughs> Not terrible, but mean. Um, but this was in this was in Virginia. This yeah. isn't Washington. You are from the yeah. other side. Yeah. Yep. I grew up in Northern Virginia. I moved a lot. I think I went to 13 schools, so I was always the new kid. Carrie has that same background. I did not have friends. And most of the schools that I went to, I didn't have friends. Sometimes I had one or two. By the time I got to middle school and high school, I lived in a really, really small town. And everyone hated me, pretty much. And I fought everyone. I either fought or fucked them. You know, that's pretty much how that went. And yeah, just a really gigantic mess. I mean, I think violence was my first drug and sex was my second. And then I found drugs and alcohol. So you're fist fighting other human beings oh, yeah. as Carrie a young wasn't a woman. fighter. Carrie didn't fight people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always like really wild to her. She's like, you're punching someone else. Like, well, yes. I went through a thing. So I moved from Eastern Washington to Bellevue. So from my mom's house to my dad and stepmom's house. And to me, that was like a kind of a come up. You know, it was, a little, it was more civilized. It was more kind of like urban and contemporary than living in the Tri-Cities or whatever. I didn't like Eastern Washington. Less drunk. It just was less dry. There were trees. It was just better. And then my brother came and lived with us also. So then we ended up moving with my dad and my stepmom, and they had their own kid also. So me and so they had three kids at this point. So we had to move to a bigger house. And so that's when they moved. We all moved to Renton. And I went to middle school, and that's really the first time I saw people my age, male and female, all genders or whatever, fist fighting. At school or <laughs> behind the school or something. And to me, uh-huh. it's always just been mind-blowing. And then I went to high school in Renton, and there was, like, the smoker's bathroom, which of, I was there smoking. And then there was the woods, and people would smoke pot in the woods. And there they would also fight in the woods. And to me, and even now, just thinking about, like, seeing someone get hit or hearing the sound of someone getting punched is so terrifying to me. It's so traumatic. So oh, I have no tolerance for violence anymore. It's so wild yeah, no, to me. That, yeah, I can't. I, yeah. I can't do it at all. But but yeah, as a teenager, uh, it was definitely my jam. You're fighting who? You're fighting other other girls, women. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over shit talking, uh, or like over some dude, or some party, or some I mean, weed, not or something. even like. I was like the weird kid, you know what I mean? And like people, I wasn't cool, wasn't popular. And, you know, the people did not like me. They thought I was weird. And so, you know, you'd get shoulder checked in the hall or whatever. And and then it was girls whose boyfriends I had slept with. There was lots mm. of those, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, I can remember getting in a fight in school and, you know, standing and talking shit to each other and then a teacher came and this girl like reached around the teacher and hit me and I remember like just being like oh absolutely not you know what I mean (laughs) and I blacked out I like lost my vision yeah and so I was fighting completely blind like I couldn't see anything and my art teacher was the only teacher that I actually liked actually was hurt in that fight I was expelled from that school for that but oh my gosh do you want to hear my dumbest fight story mm-hmm. okay so i was probably 19 18 
And my boyfriend was 21 and he would go to this tavern and drink and I couldn't go in because I was not of age and people who worked there, like my sister worked there. So everyone knew I wasn't old enough to go in. He hooked up with some girl that hung out at the tavern too. I go to the bar, but I cannot go in. So I knock on the door of the bar (laughs) and I say, will you tell her to come outside, please? And she comes outside and I'm like popping off to her and I fucking just cocked her as hard as I could in her eye. And she turned around and went back in the bar and I was just SOL at that point. I, I was just like, I was like rebel enough to sock someone in the eye, but I was not cool enough to like go into a bar <laughs> without being old enough to go into a bar. So I just went home. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So Virginia fighting people, moving all around. How do you fighting get from fucking fucking? Yeah, how do you get from Virginia to Washington? Well, I got married to a man who was absolutely terrible, and uh, had two children with him. Who are and, absolutely wonderful. Yes, they are absolutely wonderful. And at that time, I had quite the meth addiction, and we would get in just horrific fights like physical altercations and i used to go to this one like drug house on my lunch break i worked at a law firm and i would <laughs> leave at work to either go get drunk at like uh bennigans or shenanigans or whatever that place is called <laughs> Banana grams. <laughs> or I'd go to the drug house, which I guess, what do we call them these days? Are they called trap, trap houses? Trap houses. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we didn't call them that then. But, um, and I would go, you know, do a couple lines, get high, hang out, and then go back to work. And my husband showed up at that house and was He like, was not a drug user? Oh, no, he was. Oh, gotcha. But he liked to control when and where I did drugs. Sure. Right. So very much I was a possession and he showed up and, you know, was threatening me, telling me that he was going to like, I don't even remember what he was telling me, but he said or did something and I hit him. And so we get in this fight and he goes to call the cops and there's, he's got this huge cordless phone because this is 1997. So the cordless phone probably weighs five pounds. And he is just like, you know, look what you made me do, blah, blah, blah. And he just chucks the cordless phone at me and hits me right between the eyes. And my forehead like splits open. And like all I could see was blood. And I just remember thinking like, fuck, yes, finally, you know. And I had to go to the hospital and get stitches. And then I went and I got a restraining order. And I moved out with my two kids into an apartment that I couldn't pay for. And like my drug addiction was getting really bad. Like I couldn't seem to work. And I uh, called how my old mom. are the girls? They're one and three, one and four, one and four. Mm-hmm. And called my mom and she sent plane tickets and a moving truck. And so she was she here? She was here. She was here. Mm-hmm. She had moved here when Karina was six months old. So she had been out here for about three years or so. Mm-hmm. And I remember just packing all my shit in trash bags and flying across the country 
I remember when I made amends to my mom many years later, she told me a story about how when we got off the plane, you know, I had this, these two kids and Kaylee was like maybe 18 months old and she didn't have any shoes and I had no idea where they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's Seattle, it's raining, it's October and she's barefoot. And so we had to stop at Fred Meyer on the way to my mom's house to buy her a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got here. Mm-hmm. Just rolled in, just rolled into town, garbage bag, Mm -hmm. suitcase. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you were with him, you were with him for several years. Yeah. Five years, I think. Oh, wow. And you were how old when you got married to him? 20. Wow. 19, 19 or 20. Yowza. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So you land in, you land in Washington at what point do you hit AA? Well, within 30 days, I wrecked my car on 405 in a blackout and somehow managed to drive home. Uh, I was in like Renton and I hit like the median, I think, and thought about getting sober. I think I tried to stop drinking was not successful. And so I think it was probably another year and a half till I got a DUI and went deferred, which landed me an outpatient. And I had no idea that you had to stop smoking weed too. So I was not <laughs> successful. I was not successful at outpatient. Yeah. So I was 26, 27 by the time I landed in AA. Yeah. And then did you say sober from 27? No, I got sober. I did get sober and I got a year, I think. I've had so many fake sober birthdays. Oh, God, me too. I had But I don't actually know (laughs) if I ever was really sober. Yeah. But I think I got sober and I, I had a year. But I got into a relationship. I was maybe six months sober when I met my second husband. Mm hmm. Six months real sober, six months fake sober. <laughs> I mean, I think Hard it was, to say. It was fake sober. It was fake sober. Yeah. It was because I mean, I remember I was going through some like papers and found a bunch of old letters and stuff. And like I was writing to him about, like, are you not wanting to talk to me because I just relapsed? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right. And like a backpack full of childhood trauma. Oh, yeah. And like violence is my first drug. And alcohol and weed and sex are my other drugs and just rolling into AA with all of that in your backpack and two kids and an atheist and a hardcore atheist yeah but wait let's get back to your dad for a second real quick when did he and your mom divorce divorce or break up when I was 10 oh wow so yeah they were together that long yeah I was 10 And then I stayed with my dad until I was 13 when his girlfriend beat up my grandmother. And then I ended up having to go live with my mom. So I lived with her when I was 13. Let me just clarify. (laughs) Your dad's girlfriend beat up your grandmother. So whose mom was that grandmother? Your dad's girlfriend beat up his mother. Her Mm -hmm. Mm mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Wow. Really, she just hit her, but 
Same thing. I mean, yeah. Oh you know. Sometimes that is the same thing. Mm-hmm. So then you went back to live with your mom at that time? Yeah. Well, I was at that time I was, you know, hanging. I think I I had a friend and I remember we would go out and like graffiti all of the nice rich houses in the neighborhood at night. And so I just went to her place. But I think that I was visiting my mom like every other weekend. And so it was her weekend. And then she found out that I wasn't even staying at my house. Mm -hmm. And so she had me come live with her and she had like heat (laughs) and air conditioning. Electricity. Yeah. And made dinner. So those three years with your dad, were you the only child living in his care? Yeah. Well, my little brother and sister were with us for a while and I, I blocked out a lot of this, but I know that we moved to Florida from Virginia and we're living in a trailer park and my mom showed up and ended up taking my brother and sister and I stayed with my dad. Because you wanted to or? Yeah. Yeah. I was very much like a daddy's girl. Yeah. And and who's going to take care of dad if he's by himself. Yeah. And he was in the warlocks at that time or was like a, what do you call it? Prospect. Yeah. Yeah. He was a prospect at that point. And it was like right before all of the stuff went down with the warlocks in that time. There's like a whole documentary. Uh, I think we left, we left town in the middle of the night at like, I just remember him waking me up in the middle of the night and driving to a Walmart parking lot. And there was a U-Haul sitting there. And then we got in the U-Haul and like, you know, heart pounding until we crossed Florida state lines. And then I think I got excited, but I remember it being like absolutely terrifying. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. You just got a lot of stuff, unresolved stuff with you rolling into Washington AA, two kids, no money, lots of history, lots of drug addiction, you have six mm-hmm. fake months of sobriety and you get married. Well, I get in a relationship and then I get pregnant within the first six months, I think, of that relationship. Yeah. And then when our son was a year old, we got married. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And you stay sober through the pregnancy. Yes. Well, I think so. Yeah. I might have smoked weed. I don't think I smoked weed with Joe, but I'm pretty sure I smoked weed when I was pregnant with Izzy. I know I smoked weed when I was breastfeeding Joe. Yeah. So it was very much like hiding weed. I had long periods of time without alcohol during that relationship, but yeah. And you're a hardcore atheist. Yeah. So what was what was your experience in AA like? It was fucking terrible. Yeah. It sounds rough. (laughs) I just remember walking into this meeting and there was like this huge like banner on the wall that said, Jesus loves you. And I like (laughs) sat down and I'm looking around and I'm listening. And I just remember having this thought like, fuck, like if God is what I need, I'm totally screwed. I'm completely, completely screwed. Yeah. You know, and I really tried, you know, it was, it wasn't like I wanted to be willing to, you know, I was willing to be willing to be willing to believe, you know what I mean? But like, it just, I was raised with the fear of God and the fear of my father, you know, like I remember being in a Chesapeake Bay seafood house with my parents 
and my brother and sister, and they were probably four and five and I was eight or something, you know, something, maybe even younger. We might have even been younger. And some guy stopped by our table on his way out and like leaned over and complimented my dad on how well behaved his kids were. And he said, thank you. They have the fear of God and the fear of their father. And so like, it took so many inventories to get to like why I was an atheist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because like, I mean, if, if, if that's the fact, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't, I don't want, if I'm supposed to be afraid of this and it's going to punish me and it's going to do all this terrible stuff, like uh, then it's not real. It doesn't exist. I'm not down with that. Well, right. Plus, I'm going to just get punished forever because mm-hmm. I think terrible thoughts. I say awful things. Like, of course, if there's a God that's punitive and punishing me for bad behavior, I'm going to just be on punishment for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a snapshot of you. And what year is that? 2004. Okay. 2004. So now we're going to go to 2000. 22 real quick what's going on in your life what do you do what do you do (laughs) (laughs) what do you do what do i do what do you do what what are you the president of anything (laughs) (laughs) uh well yes uh i'm currently the president of the washington state astrological association i am now an astrologer for real yep I, what else do I do? I am, I'm a practitioner of, or in training practitioner of the healing key way, the healing key way, which I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about You're uh, the registrar for the international society of astrological researches conference, which is happening in Denver this month. So that's a big job. You're multiple years sober. I have three years sober. You're sponsoring many people. I do. I have sponsees. You have a spiritual practice. I do. You don't fight people? No. Mm -hmm. Kid number five. Child number five. Happy, healthy children. Everyone has shoes. Everyone has shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How do you get from there to here? How does that happen? (laughs) How did that happen? Just a perfect straight line. It's just a perfectly straight line from A to B. Just just real easy up the graph, up and to the right. What people cannot see is in 2000, well, I can say for sure in 2010, you had like black hair, Vida Sassoon, like super angled cut, Mm -hmm. like aggressive hair. Now, bitch face. <laughs> now, aggressive you hair. Ha- she had aggressive <laughs> hair. Now, beautiful blonde waves. Natural. 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 That's a natural color. Natural, yeah. beachy waves. Mm-hmm. Gross. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's taken years to get to a place where I'm like, okay, I think I like it. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. For me, that's such a big deal because I did Courtney's hair for many years when it was dark and short and, as you say, aggressive. (laughs) 
and it always looked really cute. And she would always say, you know, the next day or whatever, I'd be like, oh, how's your hair? She's like, I mean, it's fine. I just hate, I just hate my hair. Like every single time, no matter how cute it turned out, how great it was, it was exactly how she wanted it. She never liked it because she just hated her hair. So recently she said to me, I can say that I actually really like my hair right now. And I almost fell over. I was just like, Courtney. It's like the hair from the inside out. It became beautiful from the inside out. Well, and it's just so relaxed and it's just so you. And you don't have to, you know. Courtney's a hippie. Mess around with it every few weeks. Yeah. (laughs) So Uh embarrassing. I'm embracing it. I love it. I'm a fully admitted hippie. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about astrology. How did that happen? Well, I remember the first time that I, I mean, I've always liked astrology. You know, I had books when I was younger, but somewhere around 30, I read like an actual delineation of my birth chart. And I remember my first thought was, holy shit, it's not all my alcoholism, you know, because there were things in there that I thought were my character defects, my alcoholism, the things that were wrong with me, you know, and which do you remember what any of those were? Mm, It might have been around relationships a little bit. I have, I have a Venus Mars conjunction. So my lovers are often my enemies, you know, Um, (laughs) but I just remember realizing that like I was made this way, you know what I mean? And like, I found like some acceptance for who I am and how I've shown up in the world. And yeah, just like some validation with that. And, you know, I don't know. It was always, I mean, I'm a Gemini. I'm into everything, like a master of jack of all trades, master of none type shit. And and so I was, you know, I've been into astrology for many years since that reading or whatever. And then three, four years ago, I was standing outside of a meeting talking to one of my friends and I was talking about, I don't know, the cancer new moon or some shit. And she just looked at me and she was like, have you ever thought about doing this like professionally? And I was like, no. But then like a light bulb went off and I was like, oh my God. Like I've never wanted to do anything. Like <laughs> ask me what I want to be when I grow up, like nothing, you know, like I've never wanted to do anything. And I realized that this was something I actually wanted to do. And so I immediately started looking for schools or teachers to train under and reached out to our mutual friend, Meredith, who I met through Carrie. And she gave me the name of her teacher that she studied with 20 years ago. And I was super overwhelmed with like picking a teacher because there's actually many different schools of astrology which I didn't know. And I had no idea. And so I kind of just went on intuition, went on, you know, and so I picked the school and it ended up being evolutionary astrology, which is all about kind of the karmic trauma imprints that we come into this life with, you know, and 
like our soul's intended path of evolution. And like, I just remember a few weeks into the class recognizing that like, wow, a lot of this is about trauma and like, I'm like in the right place. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And so I did a three-year program and then my teacher, Laura Nabandian, she's on the board of the Washington State Astrological Association. She does the conferences for NORWAC and ESAR. And she she's the one who asked me, you know, to do all of these things and has kind of opened these doors for me, which has been really rad. Mm-hmm. I still don't really know. I I don't know. It's weird. It's like now that I'm an astrologer, whatever. <laughs> like all I'm aware of literally is. <laughs> all I'm aware of is like all the stuff I still don't know. And like I just haven't dove all in. I'll do, I'll take clients like here and there, but I haven't really put myself out there. Isn't it interesting that there's there's kind of like two, maybe three different types of people in this arena. The first type is they don't know barely anything and they portray that they know a ton of shit about their subject. And then there's people like you that actually really know a ton about it, but you don't think you do. So mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, and then there's the average person in the middle who doesn't know and doesn't think they know. But I tell you this all the time, but like the amount of stuff that you know is a kabillion times more than the average person knows. So you're always going to be ahead of someone who's coming to you for information or for reading. It's not like someone at your teacher's level is going to show up to a meeting with you and then be writing down all the shit you don't know. Oh my God, I would be like people, you know, way more. It's like me feeling like, well, everyone could cut hair. Like you can just cut your own hair if you need to. Anyone could. Well, they can't. But (laughs) to you, it seems like, oh, this is really easy or I don't know that much or whatever, but to the average person, you know a shit ton about astrology. And talking to you about astrology is when you really you really go into that mode of like being really curious and and loving like finding out information about people and being able to express that to them and talk to people about the stuff about them. You're mm-hmm. very, very, very good at astrology. Thank you. It makes me excited about astrology when you are talking about <laughs> astrology. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. You got to just get out on the floor and start doing those haircuts. You got to just start doing them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just for anyone listening, Courtney, you can find her on Instagram and maybe send her a message and maybe she'll take you on as a client. Or you could look at her actual website. Yeah. Which I don't have in my bio. I was thinking about that today. I'm like, why do you have a website and then you don't put it where anyone can find it? Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> well, we <Yeah>. do know. <laughs> my website is CourtneyBlairAstrology.com. Perfect. Okay. CourtneyBlairAstrology.com. I love that. Yep. Cool. We can put it in our link tree, too. We'll put it on our link tree. Okay. So are you an agnostic? Are you an no. atheist? No. Was astrology a transition from one or did you did you come into astrology agnostic or atheist? Well, and it changed. It changed. In 2011, I got sober 
and had an experience that convinced me that the spiritual world was real. And this was about 10 years into being an atheist in AA. Mm -hmm. And like, I still didn't really know what I thought about God or whatever, but I knew that there was a spiritual world and that dead people weren't really dead, you know? <laughs> um, That's so true. Yeah. Energetically speaking. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess you could say, like, still agnostic mm -hmm. in many ways. Things started making sense. Th yeah. Things started then, building. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's kind of hard, like, when you look at a natal chart and you talk to a person about their lived experience and you see it reflected in the natal chart or you look at the current planets and their mirror for the things that are happening on earth like how is that like it's like this divine blueprint so there has to be something like that's just weird yeah vast laws at work right mm -hmm. like it's hard yeah. to i always talk to sponsees about this thought experiment called paley's watch which is that if we were walking in the woods and we were in a, on a pathway and in the middle of the pathway we found a pocket watch and we picked the watch up and noticed that it was beautiful and that it kept time and it seemed to like have a function and we opened up the back of it and found all the gears and dials and jewels and it was like very precise and perfect and it seemed like it all worked in accordance with each other and and was also beautiful and had purpose. We would assume that someone made that watch. Yep. Right? We wouldn't assume that that watch occurred randomly and just happened to be here. Right? Someone made it. And so mm -hmm. the parallel is, is if you look at the universe, if you look at the galaxies, if you look at the earth, if you look at the moon, if you look at all of it, like, it's beautiful. It's very precise. And it seems to have purpose. And mm -hmm. so we should make the same assumption, which is that it has a maker. It is designed. It's not yeah. random, right? So I love that. That's kind of was your way into that of like, wait a minute, look at this. Like, there's mm -hmm. no way that this can be so precise and, and be random. Right. It is, I think, a barrier for a lot of people coming into any 12-step recovery community, whether it's AA, NAC, or whatever. A, a lot of it happens in a church, in a church basement. So you're going to see a lot of religious sim symbols and words and terminology. And just obviously the word God 10 billion times in the book and re referring to God as him with a capital H and all that shit. Like it seems like there's a pretty strong, you know, organized religion and the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's the Prayer and all that all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That used to make me so mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots of people. I know lots of people. And you know, in Washington it is not done anywhere near as often as it's done in other parts of the country that where they close every meeting with the Lord's mm -hmm. Prayer. You know. So yeah, we're we've gotten a little bit away from that, but that's how it is many places. But it's still in church. I mean, it's basically mm -hmm. in churches. And we're talking about God. And I mean, for me, it was like, you guys were like, oh, pick a God, any God, you know, make the doorknob your higher power, like anything can be it. And it was like, you were showing me a fork and you were like, this is a spoon, you know? And like, every time I Just saw it. Just pretend it's a spoon. 
Yeah. Every time I saw it, I was like, that's a fork. Mm -hmm. Spoon. No, it's a fork. And I could not figure out how to just let the, to just see it as a fork. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just (laughs) couldn't or spoon or whatever the fuck I said. Yeah. Right. Okay. So then two years ago, I'm going to say, I don't know if that's it exactly. You both get involved in the healing key. Mm -hmm. And I am friends with you both. I hear about it a lot. I have no idea what the healing key is. I'm very, like, I hear bits and pieces. Like, is the healing key, is it a thing? Is it, is there a key? No. I mean, yes, there's a hundred keys, 154 keys. It's a specific number of keys. Yes. Okay. There are. What is the healing key? What is a healing key? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the healing key way is a protocol. So there's a specific process that is engaged in and your highest self is who guides the session. And those answers are determined through muscle testing or applied kinesiology. Healing keys are like, how would you describe them, Carrie? I would describe them as just like kind of different themes or qualities or like descriptions that are informing your session or your day or yeah that's it what was your healing key today did you pull it i did yeah i've been doing it i got a special notebook finally two years later um my healing key today was 35 Sense well, okay, con- so how do you find that out? How do you find out what your healing key is? So we have to muscle test. Okay. Um, and you go, is it one? No. Is it two? No. We is have it a three? list. No. There's a PDF with three huge columns. And so I start out asking, or you ask it in a form of a question. My healing key for today is in column one. And then you get a yes or a no. And then if I get a yes, my healing key for today is between one and 25 yes or no and then you just what by yeah, the time I narrow get, it down i can narrow it down to five and then you kind of go into indicator mode of of whatever so it's based on energy you know it's just yeah okay but what was your healing key for today like what's an example of a healing key number 35 it's called sense of contribution and then mine for today was 143 which is adapt with joy and yesterday it was 43, which was access inner guidance. It's a phrase? Yes. So there's phrases and then there's a description that it, that explains each. We don't actually have the descriptions yet. They're being withheld until we start practicum in October. Okay. But they're basically themes or ideas or spiritual bits of wisdom to reflect on and that kind of inform the session. And then we have interventions. And the interventions are, I think, where a lot, well, I was going to say it's where a lot of the magic happens, which is true. I personally think that the real magic happens in the clearings of oppositional energies. But interventions, like I always get like the reverse conflicted belief tap. So there's tapping. And so like, I'll have to tap on my sternum while you can tap up here too. Yeah. Some of them tap around your ears. This one is the worst because you tap around your ears. You make your eyes go into figure eight 
and you have to repeat a phrase. Mine is often like, I fully accept love and respect myself, even though I am blank. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those blanks are positive phrases. Sometimes they're negative. Right. And so I do all three of those things at the same time for three minutes. But I do want to say just really quick, Janet, like my healing key for 729 was number 45, which is gratitude. Like sometimes it can just be one word and, you know, it's just like a theme, a theme. That you then practice that, whatever that means to you during the day. Yeah, if we're pulling like a healing key for our own like yeah, spiritual for your practice, own thing. But you, so I you kind of you went to a session and they it was prescribed to you to do the like tapping figure eight. I love myself despite. Yes, that, that was that, like a practitioner was, prescribed it to you. Well, my high self did. Your high self did this, and someone just, helped you get there. She muscle tests whether what number it is. And so she's connected with my higher self. If we were in person, she would, I would be doing the muscle testing with my own body. Since we're virtual, she does the muscle testing for me. And so there's, I think, 50 or 60 interventions, something like that. And so you kind of just go through and muscle test until you find out what it is. And there's also a story that has to be accessed. And sometimes that's from daily life. And sometimes it's past life. Sometimes it's some kind of metaphor and that's all muscle tested. And then usually there's some kind of interwoven connection between the key, the story, and then applying the intervention, you know, and they're all under an intention. And so like my very first intention going into healing key was why don't I like me? Mm. That was the first thing that I worked on. And I think I had 12 sessions on that. My current intention is that I want to feel more connected to myself and to others. And I have complained to Carrie many, many times about this intention because it is absolutely as uncomfortable (laughs) as it sounds. Yeah, sounds awful. (laughs) Terrible. It sounds real people. Real people. Real people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, for me, I think, you know, the healing key, the interventions, like they all do something. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. But the clearings of oppositional energies seems to me to be what has most profoundly affected me. And it's the thing that I'm most excited about, but also the thing that I'm not sure if I should talk about, you know, it's like, I, you know, want to just like talk about it. And, you know, but the truth is, is that like, for me, I didn't even know what I was getting into when I started, like I came to carry, <laughs> you know, I had a conversation with you and we were like, okay, I'm treating my shit on the mental. I am treating my shit on the physical. I am dying. and maybe I should try to treat it on the spiritual plane. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then I go to Carrie and I'm like, what kind of shit are you doing? And she's like, I don't know. I'm doing this weird shit. You want her number? (laughs) You know? You're like, yes, I do. Yeah. I I want to do the weird shit, you know? And so I had no idea what it was. And the concept of um, non-material realm beings 
it has absolutely shattered the belief systems that were in place. So awesome. So awesome. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but it's way weird. Could you, do you think, could both of you perhaps give an example of a experience that you had with a, I can't remember what you called it, the removal of the energy and the intervention. Could you give a description of an experience you had with both of those? Yes, I actually have two that have popped into my brain. So the first was my very first session. And I can't remember what was cleared exactly. It was probably, I don't remember what was cleared. Some dead people were hanging out (laughs) in my energy field, right? And had been there a real long time were removed right and after the session nobody was home it was dinner time so i was needing to cook dinner and i turned on some music it was like old country and i had like a feeling flashback which i've never had before i was like kind of taken back to childhood and i was like overcome with these feelings of like wonder and joy and curiosity and excitement and i was like oh wow like it wasn't all trauma it wasn't all bad you know and i'm like listening to this music and then like i started to dance and i will just say that i've never danced a day in my life i have two left feet zero rhythm white as white can get you know (laughs) and Like I, before I started to dance, I noticed that like, I could feel like this room in my hips. It was like, I could feel myself like grounded in my hips and in my body, you know? And then I just started to move and dance with the music and literally had never, ever danced. Had always wanted to dance, but just couldn't and was weird about it, you know? And that sold me. I was sold in that moment. You're like, I couldn't dance because they were there were dead people there in my energy people. field. <laughs> and my it's not because I can't dance. It's because there's dead people in my energy field. Mm-hmm. Well, many years ago, like, I mean, like 20 years ago, I was introduced to this person who was doing these shamanic drumming cl- energy clearings on people. And... That's when I first started hearing this kind of language. And even like after my first session with him, he talked about like kind of clearing all of these energies that were attached to me. And I had never heard this language before or heard anyone talk like this before. And I think I just had my gallbladder out. And he said, oh, especially when you're in a hospital and your body's open like that. And there's all these spirits hanging around in the hospital. They all go get in there. And I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah. Just like, (laughs) holy shit. But I quit smoking. I became like super psychic. I felt like light as a feather. I drove all the way home from Spokane, just like singing in my car. And that was my first small piece of digesting that other energy or spirits or whatever, however you'd like to refer to that or them came into my awareness. And so when I started doing this stuff, I felt like I was a little bit familiar with some of the things that she was talking about in our sessions, but not to the 
detail to the level of detail. And especially now after going to the our first week of training, of which there are four weeks of training, but just like the level of detail of what kind of energies and how how that happens and that that we are our energy fields are holographic energy. So when they fragment and there's another soul, whole, baby. yeah, there's another whole entity. It's not part of a whole. It becomes exactly a holographic. So a bunch of new information. But I feel so lucky that 20 years ago, I got introduced to that little first inkling of that kind of language about the cords or people attached or old. And then also kind of soul retrieval stuff too, right? right. Like he studied with a shaman and talked in shamanic language. And so, and there's pieces of that in Healing Key also, because when something gets cleared, we send it all to the light and then we retrieve the pieces that were karmically ours to begin with. So that all kind of made sense to me based on just old. And then, you know, just the the language, the language of this non-ordinary stuff. Yeah, but I imagine like, yeah, it's so normal to us to talk about this, but I don't even know what this sounds like to a a scientific person or someone who's not, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, crazy. Like, I am certain that if Will is listening to this, his eyes have (laughs) rolled out of his head. They are rolling out the door, right? Like, oh, yeah, but whatever. I mean, that's fine. That's what's great about life. Remember how in the 80s or maybe in the 90s when, like, Shirley MacLaine got labeled, like, a kook by whatever because she was into some other shit, right? Like, even I thought that same thing about, like, oh, New Agers, like, oh, and their crystals and, you know, whatever. So I fully expect a large portion of the population. Whatever. It's all patriarchal garbage. So whatever. Yeah. This is our, this is our thing. You can have your thing. You don't have to shit on our thing to like your thing. So go to Gwen Shamblin's fucking church and grow your hair 20 feet up in the air. I don't give a rat's ass. (laughs) Do whatever you need to do. You you do what you do. What does we do? Send all your money to fucking Jim and Tammy Faye. Sure. Beat the shit out of your or kids like, on the weekends, like, whatever. Be staunchly atheist and have a stick up your butt and be unhappy. That's your choice. That's fine. Or be perfectly happy. Or be perfe- what the fuck whatever. do I know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Right. So this is what we're into. So I don't but care. What, I don't care what they think. Ain't hurting nobody. Nope. Okay. So, Carrie, do you have a do you have a intervention that you can remember had a profound effect on you? Not specifically, no, not intervention-wise specifically, because they all, I feel like they all have a profound effect on me. And I go into every session, like, I don't have anything to work on this week. I don't have any stories. I don't feel anything blocking my energy. I don't really even have anything to talk about. As a matter of fact, I should probably cancel. I should probably just quit going to this altogether. It's not doing anything. And so I know enough now to know that those thoughts aren't real and that I'm going And I mean, I've had so many profound experiences just in, you know, realizations and just really like archaeological digs of stuff that's so old and so fortified and it's so like driving my thoughts and actions. But I couldn't, you know, and I think you said this originally, Janet, like there's just some things that I couldn't get to in any other way. And I've been scratching around in there for a long ass time trying to just get rid of this shit. And 
and sometimes the same things will come up multiple times. And at the beginning, I would judge it of just like, oh, my God, this is coming up again. I don't want to talk about this shit again. Just like, when is it going to be gone? And the way that my practitioner explained it to me is like, A, it comes up for healing, not for judging. And B, it's like a, every every level of this is a slightly less potent version of that particular yeah like so at first it might be something that i'm activated by 10 times a day and i'm terrified and i'm in fight or flight all the time and then it might still come up again in a story or in a situation but it might now after kind of doing a few sessions on it or having done been doing this work for a couple years it's just kind of like the essence of it will still come up or present itself in some kind of insidious way, like inside of another situation or something. But we still, you know, it comes up for healing and we clear it again. And, you know, there's stuff that I've been activated by my whole life that I'm not activated by anymore. I mean, several things. But, you know, my intention going in in the very first chunk of sessions was about just like getting rid of old belief systems about myself, about everyone else, and about, you know, the world life. So we did a bunch of sessions or like tears with that overarching theme. And so it's just such a wide net that so much stuff came up. And it was all just old belief shit. Like I talked about this, I think, in the last podcast of situations that I personalized or, you know, being the new kid in school all the time. But i harness that or turn or morph that into nobody likes me and it wasn't no one liked me no one knew me so I was just sitting alone eating lunch and but in my little mind everyone hated me and I still have I still have like the essence of that in my in my being but it's not debilitating anymore and it's not so this stuff comes up not to be I mean, we, t- we, we talk about stuff, we talk through stuff, but it comes up to be like cleared, like, oh, it's coming up, it's right here in front of us, let's send it away to somewhere else. Let's not like slice it and dice it and then re-ingest it. It's like, let's just completely get rid of it. So really feeling like the freedom of just the kind of the relaxation and just really like physically, a lot of people have physical symptoms that could be caused by some energetic interference or attachment. And I had a session last week and I had a really sharp, like ice pick level pain in my neck. And after the session, it was gone. So, I mean, just all kind of stuff like that. I mean, there's just, there's so many, it's hard to, it's hard to narrow it down to any specific situation because every, every session is very profound I've been able to see, you know, sometimes it's like the session isn't being informed by a story from daily life that's current. It's from, you know, and then she can muscle test through some, you know, protocol of questions to find out, you know, what year it was, what your life looked like at that time. And then you just go into tapas and wait for the answer to come to you Mm -hmm. (laughs) or a vision of the answer or something. And those moments I dread because again, I'm convinced I'm not going to be able to come up with anything. I'm not going to whatever. And every single time something comes up and I don't want to say it because it's, it sounds like I'm describing an episode of game of Thrones or something. And 
but it's always, but that's what it always is. It's like the thing that just seems so absurd that I'm seeing or that I'm feeling or some words that I'm getting or a voice that I'm hearing. Like, oh God, I can't say that. That's, that can't be what it is. But I just say it and it, and then she tests it and like, yeah, that's, that's the right story. You were a woman in 1862 and you really wanted to be a doctor, but women couldn't be doctors. So you married like the richest guy in town, but you were a prisoner because he wouldn't let you ride your horse or whatever. And I'm just like, fucking same thing today. Like, I'm the same exact. How many lifetimes am I going to have to? So it's always something really wild. And it's always, you know, when we are get invoked at the beginning of the session, we invite all of the good energy and whatever you want to call, you know, the spirits and the ancestors and everybody in to help to help guide the session and to help inform the session and to give us the information, you know, generationally that we need to raise our vibration. It's like what we're trying to do really is just clear all this shit out. So we're just vibrating at a fucking higher frequency and then we're enlightened and we're floating around. So (laughs) that's what's up. And I think I showed you this in this book, Janet, this David Hawkins is a really interesting man. And he was one of Bill, the person that created the healing key. He was one of his like greatest teachers. And he also happened to be friend, personal friends with Bill W, which I just only discovered recently. But he basically came up with this kind of map of consciousness and, you know, what vibration, like kind of assigned a number to different feelings and states on this scale of zero to a thousand. And emotions or states like, you know, jealousy and anger and bitterness obviously vibrate at a really low number. And then you get to courage about in the middle of the list and it makes a pretty big jump. And then from courage on up, like love and kindness and all of that stuff, then you just shoot up to the top of the scale. And so really, I mean, I think people that are lean more towards wanting like scientific, you know, ideas or proof can look at this stuff and be like, yeah, that makes sense scientifically. Like things have an energy, like a rock has an energy field. A horse has an energy field. Is one better or worse than the other? No, of course not. It just has a different, you know, is a refrigerator better or worse than a toaster? No, it's just a different a different frequency, a different vibration. So learning, learning that stuff has also given me a lot of insight. And I think compassion for people that are just vibrating at a really low fucking low vibe, you know, and you know who those people are. I know who those people are. The people, all the people in line that needed to scream at me because I was in the wrong ferry line the other day. And I just about fucking turned around and went home like it was so traumatic for me to have all these people screaming at me like so much hostility coming at me I'm just like you're vibing real low today (laughs) Susan I'm I'm sensitive yeah wow yeah I had two other I'll tell real quick I'd love to hear them so I think one of the ones that were really profound and has had what seems to be a lasting effect is in one of the clearings, it was muscle tested that the earthbound did not want to go to the light. It didn't want to leave. And it was attached um, to you. Attached to me. Didn't What's an earthbound? Leave. An earthbound is a, a spirit that used to be in human form that has passed on and has not crossed into the light for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. whether that's because they 
wanted to stay and find another addict to attach to so they could continue to experience getting high. That is what a drug addict would do. (laughs) That is. I need another one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or that was maybe blocked from going into the light by earthbounds that were attached to that person when they passed. But so I had to dialogue with this earthbound. And I felt real weird about that because like Carrie, I also like when it comes up that I have to access um, highest guidance, I hate that. It feels like so much pressure. I'm for sure not going to come up with anything. Right. And, you know, you go into tapas, which is like an acupressure hold and wait. Right. But so I, you know, try to tap in and dialogue with this earthbound. And, you know, it was a woman who died when she was 23 and I think had been with me since I was in the womb. And so there was seamless like co-creation that she thought she was me and she didn't want to go because she hadn't figured out how to make men love her yet. How do you? How how do you? <laughs> Why would you? <ya? laughs> Who needs them? Do they even do they do that? <laughs> I mean, I do love my boyfriend. Let me just say, I do love my boyfriend. Yeah. So, I mean, I I require a a lot of devotion and affection and attention, and I am always pretty convinced. Only I only require this from my partner, but. I'm always convinced that he's not into me. He doesn't really like me, blah, 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 blah. I can vouch. I can vouch. It's been a a thing for a minute. Uh huh. And um, like, God, that just made a lot of sense when, you know, I heard that and I, you know, explained what happened when she went into the light and she, you know, agreed to go and I watched her go and I watched the light close and I, feel like I am not as needy of my husband's attention. I'm not as easily convinced of his imminent betrayal, you know? (laughs) And it just really, I mean, matched up with, you know, my long line of failed relationships and always being convinced that there's something the matter, you know, and that they don't love me correctly. And then the other was an intervention and it was a crystal healing intervention. There's these crystals that are cut to fit your hand and it's like cut like the Vogel crystals, which are cut along specific guidelines and dimensions to maximize energy frequency or some shit. I don't know. It's scientific. Look it up. (laughs) But so since we're on Zoom, she does it to like a stuffed animal. And I had so much judgment. I was like, this is so <laughs> lame. I cannot believe. How did I get here? Carrie fucking Montgomery. <laughs> this is all your fault, you know? And um, I thought it was stupid. And I was like, okay, God, that's really dumb. And it was around my disordered eating. So my disordered eating is what had been kind of up that day and what this intervention was mostly focused on. And the next day I was in a grocery store buying a week's worth of groceries. And I go to the grocery store every single day because I don't know what we're eating until it's time to decide. 
and there is no planning involved. And I ate lunch and dinner every day for like four weeks. All of my food stuff shifted in that moment. I will say that trauma was triggered and I slid back into some of that disordered eating, but it was a remarkable change. And it wasn't, I, you know, wasn't like, I'm going to go and plan meals and I'm going to eat lunch. You know what I mean? It was just like, I'm hungry and I have all these ideas for food and there's all these things that sound great and I'm just going to go and buy them and eat them. And so I thought that was really wild, especially since I thought it was so dumb that she's doing this on a teddy bear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm way too cool for mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love the rebellion, but like begrudging willingness yes. to participate. It's like, this is dumb, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate the the high vibe stuff. I'm just like, God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> Are we really these people that are trying to raise our vibration? Like, are yes. I just want to say I am not a 5D ascension person just to <laughs> save my reputation a little bit because I feel like I have <laughs> your kidding. blonde beach waves. Just are I know. I feel like your... the dead people thing would have gone a lot better with like the old black. Yeah. Aggressive hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the five, what are the five D ascension people? What's oh, that? God, I don't know. It, it's raising your vibration from 3d to 5d. And so there's like the new world happening or whatever. I don't know. I'm super judgy of it. And then I'm over here <laughs> talking about this shit with you guys. Like a crystal and a teddy bear. And, yeah. I mean, you know, both different. can be true, right? Like both can be true. And as long as we're like, As long as the, you know, we can only be defeated by intolerance and belligerent denial, right? I mean, here's what I know is that I was fucking miserable and not happy and fucking miserable. And then I started doing this healing key way shit and my entire fucking insides have changed. And your outsides. I mean, I I would understand your outsides. Like you are... I am no longer afraid of you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think I really have resting bitch face anymore. No, I would say you're a joyful, funny, interesting, like very intelligent, gifted, like driven person. Well, thank you. I'll take it. Do you feel like you could see yourself being, is an astrologer called a practitioner or are they just called an astrologer just an astrologer could you see yourself in the future being a full-time astrologer and healing key practitioner i can see myself being a full-time healing key way practitioner for sure but not astrologer i'm not certain about astrology i think yes i will always be doing astrology and i will probably always be practicing it in some way, whether it will be my main gig. I think that it is a bit energetically taxing. I put a lot of pressure on myself to provide value. And I mean, there's a power differential. I could say something that someone would remember forever, negative or positive. 
You know what I mean? And that's just a really serious thing. You know what I mean? I take that really seriously. And yeah, so I don't know. I know that the time will come where I can look at a needle chart and just not need to do much prep and everything is just there and readily accessible. Currently, you know, I'm still in the stage where I'm taking quite a few hours. I'm cross-referencing one of my 55 astrology books. You know what I mean? And the healing key way, I'm just facilitating a protocol Mm -hmm. and I am muscle testing and getting the answers from the client's highest self. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing shit. I'm saying a prayer. <laughs> You're like, I still don't want to do anything. So. Can, right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I still don't. You know, I think that astrology is so valuable and there is something that I absolutely want to be able to help people with, with it. But I don't, I'm not really into like the whole astrology reading. Let me tell you about yourself. Fucking pop bullshit. Like if you want to you know, talk about the things that have plagued you your entire life and the wounds and the trauma and the issues that you have and see if there's an answer to be found in there. Like I'm super down to navigate that with you, you know? Do you think most people just want to know, like, is he going to leave his wife? Am I going to get rich? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on, it depends on their, their state of consciousness. Right. And like with evolutionary astrology, that's one of the things that we have to try to identify is this person in a consensus state of consciousness, right? Consensus, everything, like what society says is what I want. Is he going to come back to me? When will I meet someone? individuated is he left and what can I do to heal? How can I grow and be better? Right. You know, I mean, there's a big difference between those two. Yeah. I think most people who get an astrology reading are individuated or spiritual. I mean, there are people who are consensus that, you know, just kind of want to know, like, is he going to come back? When am I going to meet somebody? I wouldn't. I'm not available for those type of readings. <laughs> <laughs> here's what here's what I wonder. Is it possible that there is a combination that you are the one that's going to invent? Possibly. I mean, I have a friend who is a vibrational astrologer. Her name's Clarissa Dolphin. You should check her out. Vibrational astrology is real weird. It's all about vibes. I don't understand it at all. But she did an like an eclipse reading thing or whatever. I don't know. It was, I don't understand any of it. But she basically talked about this blending of this shadow work or this dead people shit or whatever with astrology, you know, and it's something that I'm constantly thinking about, but don't know. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. I feel like thinking about it a lot is a Mm -hmm. step in manifestation. Yeah. I mean, I think that when it comes to astrology, like I'm more interested in potentially some kind of like ongoing consulting counseling coaching versus like one off mm-hmm. right yeah 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 i could see having healing way clients and 
you know, also potentially doing something astrology related. I mean, I feel like I challenge you not to get the <laughs> astrological chart of all of your key linky clients. Like, well, you right, will do that you because do then that. if if you know, like. Oh, I have a reading or I have a session with this person and like, oh, her birthday is December 5th. Oh, so she's a Sag. So she can probably take the truth a little more straightforward mm-hmm. than somebody that might need a bigger fluffier pillow around it or something. I mean, not that. I, I mean, would look the, at the, their moon sign to figure out like how yeah, you're, to go, you're going to combine them. You're Actually going to approach them. Yeah, yeah. you're going to. Well, yeah. I can't wait till you guys get certified because I'm going to be y'all's first client because I can't <laughs> wait to, I can't wait to like talk to them. I can't I mean, wait. Everyone, everyone has attached energies. Everyone. I can't wait to meet them. I, really I mean, I think excited. at least, you know, back in the eighties, it was, you know, 70 to a hundred percent of people have these oppositional energies attached. I think probably everybody has them. I think that they're part of the deal they're supposed to be. It's part of how we grow. It's like having bacterias. Yeah. Of course you do. Absolutely. Of course you do. You know, and they all need to be cleared because like, not only can you be freed. I want them to be free. I want them to be free. I want them to go into the light and not be stuck here on this hellscape. You know what I mean? Attached I mean, especially to attached to this percent. mess. Right? right? Like, shit. Uh, can you, I feel so bad for all the earthbounds that have been with me all of my <laughs> I mean, life. I'm really sorry. I have done a piss poor job. <laughs> Very yeah. fascinating, cool shit. I'm stoked by it. I love it. I love that you both are just like, yeah, it's weird. It's what I'm into. It's, I don't, I don't try to explain it. I just do I it. I feel like since we did the training, I feel like I have a lot more specific questions about it than I did before. I've asked a lot of Courtney. I ask a lot of Beth, my practitioner of just like, I don't know if it's the skeptic or just like the, the mind that wants to know all these different scenarios of, if we're clearing all this stuff anyway, why does it matter what kind they are? And just all different, like at what gestational stage does a soul enter a fetus? Like, I want to know all of this shit. Mm-hmm. Beth, there's some questions. I stump her sometimes. I asked her one last time where she was like, that might be a bill question. Mm-hmm. What was it? Maybe I'll get the answer. I'll meet with her tomorrow. But I believe in it because I feel different than I've ever felt before. I feel so much so much better than I've ever felt before. But I feel like, you know, something happens to me when I start kind of going down a path and the surface level of it, I love. But then as it goes deeper and deeper and I get into more detail, then I kind of lose interest. So I'm really struggling to stick with it. To not let that tweak whatever that thing. Yeah, you have some dead energy that's like, no, don't find out more. I don't want to leave. Well, right. But also just like I want uh, I want to create a graphic, like a flow chart of some sort to create the picture of how all things, all these things are related and what all this different. You got an iPad to start. Oh, start can you imagine a little a yeah. stick figure on on an iPad with a, a cloud that says earthbounds with an arrow pointing yes, to the earth? Yes. yes. Please do that. I would like to see it. <laughs> well, I want, I mean, Cor- but I want Courtney to do it. <laughs> the deeper that I go into it, the more questions I have, and the more of an existential crisis 
it creates, you know, like, I mean, if it's true that every time there's trauma, a soul is born, a soul is created that instead of us fracturing off, we're actually creating a whole new soul. Right. And look at the earth, look around and look at how much trauma is happening on a regular basis. And if that is creating new souls, which can then be harvested. Have I just cracked the whole it's a battery? Code it's all a big battery. What we're doing here. You know what I mean? Like it's just the farming. Soul farm. It's a soul farm. And so then it's existential crisis, meltdown. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. All, all those questions. I'm going to write, I'm going to write that okay, down. Before you talk everyone out of doing healing Kiwi, let's, <laughs> let's just leave there. Cause I think it's beautiful. I can, I know you both very well. And I know that you both feel better by participating. 100%. So one, one thing that Jeremy said to me that I thought was always such a great thing is we were, we were in some philosophical discussion and we were talking about the placebo effect of like what if this is all just placebo of like just believing in god makes you feel better and he just said something and it was you know it was just kind of a throwaway line but it's stuck with me ever since and he's like even if it's a placebo that's still a power stronger than me mm-hmm. right so like in the end doesn't matter doesn't yeah. matter like the proof is in the pudding let's look at the record you guys both feel better so does it matter if it's real or if it's a placebo exactly right so so then that like take that idea and like if i have that much power of if my belief in something has the power to heal me that's really profound that's like, really that's profound. a big deal yeah, yeah that's really profound and the proof is in like you both feel better. You're handling life better. Your relationships are better, right? So I'm completely different. You are completely different. I feel like I saw you a couple months ago and you were like, well, I cleared a 24-year-old who was a, a obsessed with making men love her. And I swear you were different on that night, mm-hmm. right? Like I was like, I, I know. And all of that stuff is now gone and I can mm-hmm. see it. And it yeah, hasn't it's been anything, wild. it's not, It's gone. Mm-hmm. So even if that is placebo, who cares? It yeah. seems to work. I'm going to do it forever. And <laughs> I want to get my hands on everyone. Yeah. So I'm all your of first. my alcoholic friends line up. I'm, li- I'm in line. I'm first in line. I, I'm line a, I don't up. have to be first, but I want to be in the first few, right? If you ever need, like, I, I always volunteer to be a hair model. Like, I will hair model for you. <laughs> I will be your first guinea pig. Like I'm, I'm all in, and I'm a super good student. I always do my homework. There's no homework. Well, and there's nothing bad. Like nothing bad can happen. Like the intention is all like the highest good and the highest yeah, intention, right. and like it has to be. Yeah, it has to come from a good place and end up in a good place because it's about the goodness. There's yeah. nothing dark or evil or sinister or you know, implanting ideas in someone or whatever. It's all just pure. It's very pure. It's very divinely ordered. And it just seems like such a kind, beautiful way to go about to facilitate this change. Right. And it's a beautiful paradigm and an interesting way and something to be curious about. And, you know, it's fun. 
Life is more fun when you have fun beliefs. That's for sure. And also, we have to do 100 sessions or 100 hours. We have to do mm-hmm. 100 hours of practicum for free. Okay. I'm your girl. <laughs> Janet's on everyone's list. I'm your girl. At least one of them. For free? All yeah. 100? No. I asked. I asked specifically. Yeah. Okay. People on my wait list? No. <laughs> I'm like good for, I'm like at least 25 hours. I'm at least 25 hours. I got a lot of shit. It's free, Courtney. It's in the, it's in the. You hear that, everyone? It's free. They both got to get 100 hours. So I totally regret appearing on this podcast. <laughs> but most people, your but sessions they do longer, accept longer, tips. longer than an hour. So. Right. I think we can accept donations, but we can't formally charge. Yeah. But se- my sessions are an hour and a half on the short end, honestly. So it's not necessarily going to be 100 sessions. It'll be, you know, whatever that math is to. Oh, that's a good point. Add those extras on. Yeah. yeah. But just, you know, be careful who you let into your energy field. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, sisters. I got to finish this thanks. batch of cookies. Oh, God. Thank you yeah, so I much, Courtney. No, they came out good. I, I snuck away and pulled them out of the mm-hmm. oven. Perfect. They're great. They're perfect. Thank you for being here, Courtney. Please post our podcast on your social media channels, and we'll put your link to your website in our link tree that's on all of our socials. CourtneyBlairAstrology.com. Yep. CourtneyBlairAstrology.com and there's a Healing Key Way page now mm-hmm. on your website where people can get on the they can sign up on the list for when mm-hmm. you start practicing. Mm-hmm. Just such a good such a good idea. Yeah, fascinating. I'm stoked by you both. I think you're both incredible. Thanks for having me and talking weird shit. It was fun. I loved it. All right, guys. I'll see you soon, Courtney. I'll see, see you, you in the kitchen. I'll give you a cookie. What? We're, eat some cookies. Okay. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. bye.